the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon and welcome into another edition of Woods and Water, South Carolina. Hope uh, hope everyone out there had a great Memorial Day weekend. And uh, and if you were listening to the show and enjoyed Steve Rinella, he uh, always a he's a great guy to talk to. The trouble is he's so busy. I mean, I, I think the first time he was on the show was back in 2016, maybe. And we were going to try to do it every year because then you know. I like to keep the show mostly focused on South Carolina, but it's nice to have some of these other guys come in that you don't really hear too often on local radio. And um, But he just got so busy. He actually broke my heart. I, I was talking to him on the phone, and and I was traveling actually to, to Indianapolis for something. I can't remember exactly what for, or Kentucky, somewhere up that way. And uh, he said, dude, he said, I am just so stinking busy with podcasts and all that. He says, I just can't commit to anything right now. And I mean, I just I felt heartbroken. I'm like, no, I got turned down by Steve Ranella. But I kept in contact with him. There's issues that come up that you'll just send him a two-line email. And he uh, normally he's he responds in you know a day or so, if not the next few hours. And uh, it was back when he, uh, he partnered with our actual Cortex group came on board to help Meat Eater Brand expand the Meat Eater Brand. You heard him talk about bringing in more writers and, and more people and kind of concentrating the things in Bozeman. Um, it was a public outcry. You know, oh, Steve Rinella sold out to anti-Second Amendment Cortec Group. And and that's when I emailed him and said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a better story here. Why don't you tell me what's going on? That was like on a Thursday. And I didn't hear from him on Friday. I think on Sunday morning he had his response. It was like a six-minute response to it all and then um then i think i was i was eating dinner sunday afternoon and my phone buzzed and i just kind of picked it up out of habit and it was his response and he said i'm sorry i've been so busy he said look he said if you ever want to have me on the show i'd love to come back on and uh and that's how it works in some of these some of these situations so my heart is unbroken now i can we can safely say that steve Renilla appreciates coming on with or, or we'll make time to come back on the show yeah just a great guy uh and uh, kind of a, you need to you need to eat you need to read the meat eater book. It's a really a really good book. We grow up we grow up one way here in the South, and in Michigan they grow up totally separate, totally different. I mean there was there was a year in there he and his brother and one of his buddies tried to eat they wouldn't eat anything but what they trapped for the year. You know you try doing that down here you're gonna starve to death. <laughs> But uh, I did. I, I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope uh, that if you're out on the lake, you were safe, that you listened to our show that we did on, on boating safety with, with Sergeant uh, Lewis with South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Uh, they had all the, the boating safety checkpoints set up again. And those shows, I hope they're not boring to you if you're a boater already, but everybody needs reminding of how to be safe on the water. 
and uh, that's why we do them. Department of Natural Resources is a great sponsor of this show, and it, it's they're a wealth of op- of information on a lot of different subjects, and the and, and I enjoy having them on. But uh, and I um, I'm trying to think. Oh gosh, this uh, we're getting ready for a real treat here, and with another name in the outdoors, with the sporting chef chef Scott Lasith is going to be on here on the other side of the break. We're going to make this segment short to give him as much time as he can. I know he's got to get off because he's got to take his 95-year-old mother to the doctor. But um, it's going to be a good show. And I'll warn you, you will want to go to the grocery store and buy a whole bunch of stuff. You'll want to go turkey season out so you can't go kill a turkey, but you can still go catch some fish. I'm sure you've still got some old venison there in the freezer or something you can pull out. And and go to the website. The Sporting Chef, he's got some some recipes up there for all sorts of things. I printed one off for uh, for wild game sliders that'll just it just looks like I just want to make it. I need to make it. So anyway, hope you stay tuned. Listen to, to Scott talk, and he's been doing it a long time. Wealth information. He's really good at it. So look forward to the next segment with Scott Lacey, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Appreciate you tuning in. And I'm going to give you a fair warning right here, right now. If you like food and you like cooking wild game, I don't know if you want to get your uh, uh, drip rag or whatever and and get ready to bail the scuppers in your mouth because you're going to get hungry. Your mouth's going to start watering because all the way from Folsom, California, Scott Lacey, the sporting chef, joins us on Woods and Water. Scott, thanks for doing this. Hope you're doing great. And uh, what are we going to cook today? Man, whatever's on sale. I know it's, we've got turkey season. Hopefully, those who are listening, I've got a couple of turkeys in the freezer, and we can talk about some of that ground deer meat you probably have too much of. Okay. Um, Fish, whatever, cast iron, I'm here for you. Let's talk about whatever whatever happens in South Carolina, one of my favorite states. I hear you, because you're here. I mean, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Outdoor Network, uh, I mean, Sportsman Channel ran your SCWA uh, episode where you filmed here at the South Carolina Waterfowl Association. So yep, you- my son has been to camp there a couple times. I've done cooking schools there. We were there last December for the uh, opening, uh, the second day, second opener, and um, had a great shoot there. Managed to kill my limit after everybody else left the pond, <laughs> and um, I really like hanging out there at Camp Woody at SCWA. That's a that is one camp. When you talk to those guys down there, those kids, it, you know, it, my favorite part is the inner tube and the mud puddle. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the way I and grew I, up. You know, and it just it just it just reeks of fun down there. It really? Well, does. And you can do the reason I sent my son there instead of somewhere in California is you can do more good stuff at Camp Woody than you can most other places. I'm sure. Um, and I've watched it grow. You know, they've done an incredible job. David Walicki, the founder, has done a great job over the last 25 years of developing this into an education, fun, great opportunity for people that can get a chance to go to Camp Woody. Yep. And camp runs all summer. And then they got the, on the flip side, they got the Camp Loophole, which runs through the school right. year, that continues yep. some of what Camp Woody does all year long. 
Oh, it does. And it's, and that's kind of the next level where, you know, you actually get to participate a lot more in, uh, you know, the conservation efforts and what it takes to identifying plants and animals and those kind of things. Yeah. The Camp Leopold is a great, great deal. It's a good one, and it's right here in South Carolina. That's the really cool thing about it. So you do make it here every once in a while and, and keep a tab on what all's going on. Uh, you know, you, one of your favorite things you told me maybe the first time we ever talked, uh, I'm not here to make your cooking more complicated. I'm just here to make it better. And it seems like you know, the, <laughs> the, the inspiration for me with the cooking isn't to out-chef other people. I, what, I, what I found a few decades ago is that, <laughs> You know, there are so many people out there that say, man, I love to duck hunt, but I just don't like eating duck. Oh, man. Or I, lo- I love to catch fish, but, you know, and then they make that, you know, paper mill smell face when they when they talk about eating fish. <laughs> and I, and it's not the fish, and right. it's not the duck. It's what they're doing with it. Right. And that's where you come in, and you've been doing this a, a while. <laughs> yeah more than i'd like to admit oh no it's 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 all good and and folks if you're if you have a chance get on the sporting chef website uh it tells you more about it it's got a sampling of game recipes you can even get and i noticed this you can even get a free wild game ebook oh yeah if you sign up for our sign up for our newsletter we'll send you an ebook um we don't wear you out with newsletters we send out Maybe six a year okay. at the most. You know, I don't, I don't, I get, we don't get tired of too many emails, right? Okay. So, um, stay with us. I've got, uh, you know, a show on Sportsman Channel, Sporting Chef, and then the Dead Meat Show is back. We just got okay. done chasing lionfish, uh, <laughs> snakeheads, and rays in Florida last week. Okay. Um, we went in search of wild cows, um, on the big island of Hawaii. They have feral cattle there. Cool. Um, and one of the coolest things that we did find, we shot a pig. Okay. Now, you know how a, an old wild boar um, can have a uh, a bit of a pronounced aroma to you it. You think? <laughs> and, and and we normally cut the fat off of those things, right? Okay. It's best to cut the fat off into the fat. We shot pigs that were, um, every afternoon, the property owner would put out a, a big pile of macadamia nuts. Huh. And I'm telling you. If you all you need is a truckload of macadamia nuts, which will cost you about four hundred dollars a pound by the time you get your pig out. Okay. But it was the best pig I've ever had. The fat on it was white and creamy. We actually added the fat to the grind when making sausage. Oh my and you don't normally do that with an old wild pig, right? Now macadamia they you're I assuming you're on a macadamia nut farm down there. Well, this guy has access to a macadamia nut processing place, okay. and he just goes in and sweeps the floor ah. and get whatever gets whatever's on the floor, loads up his truck, and feeds the pigs that come out of the woods with him. And you know, <laughs> definitely are what you eat, and um, <laughs> it's a whole different category of pig. Oh, those pigs have elevated to a different one altogether. You're exactly right. Right. Look, we just finished up turkey season in South Carolina. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, it was, uh, you talked around and people had a good season. Some people said the turkeys were absent or they were silent, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that have a few turkeys in the freezer. Like you said, what, um, you know, most people breast it out. We do it with doves. Yep. We do it with quail. We do it with ducks, geese, turkeys. I mean, that's a good part. And I'm sure you can talk about cooking those, but, uh, about the whole, using the whole turkey, how do you go about doing that? And, and how are you going to fix the legs or whatever else left over? 
you know, and you don't have to necessarily, you know, plucking a turkey as 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 you know, isn't the easiest task, and that's going to add a lot of time to your processing. If you just want to peel it, that's fine. If you don't feel like plucking it, but when you just breast it out and you throw the rest away, what I find people will breast it out, throw the rest of the way, and then they'll make a recipe and throw in a bouillon cube or a can of of uh, chicken stock. Oh. Instead, if you take those wild turkey parts that aren't the breast fillets and you put them into a roasting pan, and I'm talking legs, thighs, carcass, okay. put it into a roasting pan with some celery, carrot, onion, that, and you can use the butt ends and the peels and any of right. that stuff. Brown the whole thing in a 400-degree oven. Dump it all into a big stock pot. Cover it with cold water. You can throw in some bay leaves, garlic, herbs, doesn't matter. Bring it up to just under a boil, leave it uncovered, let it simmer all night long, low heat, and then pour the whole thing through a colander, Yeah. pull the big parts out, and then I like to pour it through a colander again with some cheesecloth to uh, further get the little parts out. You've got this incredible wild turkey stock Oh wow! that you can use to make soups, stews, whatever. The You can take those legs and thighs and braise them. Um, just you want to brown them, and then you put them into a roasting pan with okay. about an inch or so of liquid, um, and that can be wine, chicken stock, doesn't matter. Throw some vegetables in there, and eventually those wild turkey legs, at least the thighs, will get really, really tender, and then you can strip all the meat off. If you cook a whole bird, it doesn't work. Okay. If the breasts are just done, if you get it to where you can actually eat those thighs, the legs are—I mean, the breasts are thought are sawdust. Okay. So. Cook them separate. Same thing applies to pheasants. Anything else that you're cooking, don't waste the rest of that bird. It's you can take that stock and concentrate it, put it into Ziploc bags, put it flat in the freezer so that it freezes like a oh, wow. book. Yeah. And then you can just stack them in, and you can just break off a corner of that stock anytime you need to make some sauce, and you're not wasting the rest of that turkey. Wow. And that's what you ought to do. If you're going to go out in the wild and, and take part of the natural resource, you need to make sure it's used. Yeah, to me, it's you know, it's it's wanton waste to to just use the breast of the birds, whether it's a duck or goose or a turkey, and not use the rest of it. Um, and a lot of people just don't know, you know. So yeah. they so they've taken turkey and they chunk it up and they throw it into a crock pot with a can of cream of mushroom soup, and it tastes just like cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> but it. To me, that you can do that with a chicken. Don't sure. do that with your wild turkey. And if your turkey is, if your turkey breast is dry, uh, you, all you've done is overcooked it. If you take that turkey breast and you brine it six to eight hours, and that can be a commercial brine, or you can just take half a gallon of water, half cup each, kosher salt and brown sugar. That's oh. going to add moisture. It's going to add salt. Don't cook it past about a hundred and. 50, 155 degrees. As okay. it sits there, when you take it out, it'll keep cooking. It's not chicken. The salmonella danger isn't there. If your turkey's dry, all you've done is cooked it too long. Huh. No salmonella in turkeys? Nah, not in the wild turkey. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And, that turkey... and I shot a few of them this year. We got lucky here. I got okay. I, I shot my three, so I'm, I'm, I had a good year. <laughs> you did have a good year. Well, you did have a good year. So so you're using all of it. You're making the stock. When you pull the stock out, what are you using the stock for down the road? You can use it for anything that you would use for 
chicken broth okay. uh, instead of bouillon. You've got, and it tastes so much better. Yeah. Um, and you're going to, if you want, you can skim the fat off, but there's not a whole lot of fat on there. Right. And the more you cook that stock down, the more concentrated it is. So you can have a concentrated stock, takes up less room in your freezer. Some people put them into ice cube trays. Okay. Um, I, and then once they're frozen, you just break them into a Ziploc bag, gra- uh, grab an ice cube with uh, uh, a turkey stock cube. And if you're sauteing some turkey or chicken or quail or whatever, you throw one of those cubes in there, and just it's going to add a oh, whole different man. dimension of flavor. Gosh, that does sound good. Oof. Told you, folks. <laughs> Start bailing the scuppers. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned something about cooking breast fillets on a turkey. Uh-huh. What, what, what are you going to do there? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to butterfly it. If, if, it's, a, if it's a big animal, you know, they're really thick. Right. So if you if you cook it in the in its natural state when it's an inch and a half or so thick, um, by the time it gets to the center, it's very often overcooked on the outside. So if you're gonna cook the whole thing, you wanna use lower heat. Um, make sure you add a little bit of moisture to it. So if you're doing it on a grill, you wanna baste it often. Um, okay. my the best thing I like to do is to butterfly them so that they're about half as thick. Okay. Um, and then lightly pound them so that they're even. They're of even thickness. Then, um, after you brine it, you can put it into a little marinade with some olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper. Um, slap it on the grill, and again, follow that meat thermometer. If when it's done for me, it still has just a tinge of pink on the inside, and I'm going to let it rest for a few minutes. And as it's resting, you're going to lose that pink, and it's going to be perfectly cooked. You can cut it up into strips and fry it and all that, and that's good, too. Okay. But uh, keep the thickness even so that it'll cook evenly, and you're not going to have an undercooked and an overcooked uh, part of a turkey breast. And they're, what's really cool about them is you can butterfly them and stuff them with a bunch of stuff, too. You can put in uh, prosciutto, cheese, fresh basil, tomato, roll the whole thing up, tie it like you would a roast, Okay. Uh, brown it, and then pop it into the oven, a 350-degree oven. When that uh, temperature gets about 155 in the center, pull it out, let it rest, and you can cut it open, and it makes this roulade, you know, whole kind of stuffed wild turkey thing that's really good. Oh, boy. That does sound good. You, you know, you mentioned olive oil. What, what purpose does olive oil serve when you're grilling or when you're doing something in a pan? Because every recipe you see calls for it. I don't know that a whole lot of people know why you use it. Well, for me, it's flavor. Um, and I, what I do a lot of times is I'll mix olive oil and butter, and the olive oil will give it a little bit higher burning point, and then you get that flavor of butter. But there's, there's just a different flavor between olive oil and vegetable oil. Okay. If all you're going to do is brown it, Yeah. Any kind of oil works. Okay. Um, if you want a little bit more flavor, you're going to get more flavor out of the olive oil. And, of course, the better olive oils, the extra virgin olive oils right. that, are from the, that are from the first and second pressing, those are going to have more olive oil flavor. If you're not looking for olive oil flavor, buy the cheap stuff, the Thomas <laughs> grade, or there's olive oil mixed with canola oil. Okay. And that'll still give you a little bit of flavor. If all you're doing is browning, you don't need to waste your money on expensive olive oil. Okay. All right, because everything you know, every every recipe you have, or you see, you know, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and I just don't know that people know exactly why. But it's well, and it's 
and again, it's it's a matter of preference. But if you know, if you don't want to fry in olive oil because it doesn't. It has too low of a burning point. Okay, that's why we use that's why we use peanut oil for okay. cooking. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. You know, it, it, uh, turkeys. You could go on. We could talk about this forever, and we and we normally do. Take just a moment before we take this break, and I'll talk about cast iron cooking. I know one of your sponsors is Camp Chef, and yeah. I don't do a whole lot with cast iron, but I know there are a lot of people who are going back to it and using cast iron more and more these days. And I know there's a process for curing a cast iron and then cleaning a cast iron. Could you tell us a little bit about how to do both of those? You know, the process is infinitely simpler than people think it is. And if you buy cast iron now, it comes pre-seasoned. But if you happen to have one that's been out in the shed for a while and there's a bunch of rust on it, Heat it up to 400 degrees, and that's going to get a lot of that rust off. And then you can take a wire brush to it. I don't care how much you've abused your cast iron. Yeah, You can always bring it back to life. Get a wire brush on the end of your drill motor. Get all that old rust off. And then um, wipe it out really good. Um, I use a cast iron conditioner from Camp Chef. You can use palm oil. You can use vegetable oil. And just rub it in there. Don't soak it don't bury it in oil just a nice thin coating okay pop it back into that 400 degree oven and in about an hour it's going to glaze that that uh, oil on the outside right and and you now have a non-stick brought back to life cast iron it's infinitely simpler than you think it is that is um, and, and when you go to stir, uh, store it don't put a tight fitting lid on there because what the oil that's in there can go rancid on you so you want to Make sure that it gets to breathe. Okay. You know, the cast iron is very porous. Right. It's my go-to cookware. It's what I use at home. I don't travel with it because it, it's a little heavy. <laughs> Airline baggage visa get each up on that one, won't it? Yeah, it does. We, uh, just a little short story, we go up to the Chattooga River and camp every once in a while. Used to do it a lot more before kids got older and people got busier. Um, but one of the coolest things at night was my cousin's husband would take Granny Smith apples and some cake batter, and I don't know what all, and he would put it in a Dutch oven, and we'd have Dutch oven apple cobbler out of a, you know, just a cast iron Dutch oven, and it was just so yep. good. Oh, it was so good. If you if you ever go to a Dutch oven cook-off, where they, and I've been to a bunch of them where they do incredible stuff, <laughs> anything you can do in an oven, you can do in a Dutch oven. Oh, wow. And, and so for people that aren't familiar with it, I've seen, you know, dessert cook-offs and cheesecakes and all this stuff like you're talking about, it's so much easier. And, and again, the curing is simple. Anything you can do in an oven, you can do in a Dutch oven. <laughs> all right, Scott, hang on. We're going to take a break, come back with more Woods and Water, and the sporting chef Scott Lath is on the other side. Like the song says, turn it up, because we're talking to the sporting chef, Scott Laseth, about uh, cooking wild game, and we covered some turkeys last time. We talked a little bit about uh, cast iron cooking, and uh, I think we hit one of one of Scott's pet peeves, if I if he has any pet peeves, is, is people like me who grind up way too much deer meat. So 
Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead and pound on me a little bit about grinding up too much ground venison. You know, <laughs> I, I, if, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, you know, just give me the loins and the tenderloins and grind every everything else into burger or sausage or whatever, that, it kills me. Does that just um, make you just yeah. wretch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let, if if you've never had deer shanks, okay. slow-cooked deer shanks that just fall right off the bone, you ha- I mean, you have to tie a string around them to keep them from falling off the bone, Yeah. You'll, you would, you're going to think, boy, I wish these deer had eight legs so I could get more shanks out of them. Um, now, okay, well, let me know, stop you right there. When, when, uh-huh. when the average person goes to a processor, is the processor going to know where the shank is? Absolutely. Okay. All if right. he doesn't know where the shanks are, then, then get a different processor. Okay. All right. I'll um, process at home. But what happens, we'll take, you know, you take a, an average sized animal and you take those hindquarter muscles and grind them. You're wasting a whole bunch of meat. If you take that hind quarter, bone it out, remove each muscle, you know, the, the eye of round looks like it's going to be tender, but it's not. That one, go ahead and grind that part okay. or slice it really thin for a stir fry. But those other muscles in that hind quarter, if you just don't overcook them, you slice them across the grain when you go to serve it, very often, and and your deer in South Carolina are, are as good as they can get. I mean, they're... They're good tasting deer, um, and if you if that's not the case for you, you're probably cooking it too long. Okay. But if you take one of those hind quarter muscles, um, put a little olive oil, salt, and pepper, slap it on a grill, slice it across the grain, but don't go past 135 degree internal temperature. That thing's going to melt in your mouth. <laughs> if you found that your deer, your deer steaks from the hind quarter are tough and chewy, I'm you know I'm. I'm going to keep repeating myself. You're just cooking it too long. So do that. Put a little, some fresh sautéed mushrooms on top. Tell everybody it's loin, and they won't know the difference. I guarantee it. Stop grinding all that deer meat. And when you do go to grind it, yes. if you want to get rid of some of that stuff that's in your freezer now, be a little bit more creative. Anything you can do with ground beef, you can do with ground venison. Okay. I usually, when I grind mine, I add... Uh, pork shoulder to it. Okay. That's to me that pork butt has the perfect amount of fat. I'm right. going to put about 25% pork shoulder to my 75% lean deer, and it's the best burger ever. And at that point, you don't have to add anything else to keep it together, right? Salt? Well, no, that'll hold together much better. It's it'll fall apart. It'll be more likely to fall apart if you don't add some fat to it. Right. Yeah. And that's why we make a lot of chili and that kind of stuff. Cause sure. Um, it's very forgiving and it falls apart and it's cooked all the way. And, and again, if you're not, if you're not okay with medium rare, uh, boy, I can't help that. I mean, <laughs> you, you gotta go low and slow at that point. You can turn it all into pot roast. Okay. Um, but just, I want everybody to take 15 seconds out of their life. If they said, I can't eat it. There's too much blood. And by the way, that's not blood. Um, if you just don't cook it quite so long, take 15 seconds out of your life. Take a bite of lesser cooked venison, and you'll find just how much better it tastes than that overcooked one. Well, I mean, a, a medium rare or a medium steak it tastes better than a well done too. So you're not—it's not that much it different does, from a steak. It it does to me. And one of the questions that I ask people when they have a problem with what how their deer tastes is, I'll say, you go to a restaurant, how do you order your steak? And if okay. they go medium well or well done, I go. Killing you know, it. deer doesn't work that way. There's yeah. no fat in there, so it's not very forgiving. Yeah. And so 10 times less fat than beef. 
So if you, you know, you'll never see any marbling on your, on your venison steak that's left over the next day that you pull out of the, out of the refrigerator because there just isn't any fat on there. Right. So quit cooking it so long, you've got a whole different deer. <laughs> All right. You sent me something that said pull deer shoulder. This is, this interests me. Pull take, deer shoulder. Instead of, instead of breaking down that, that shoulder, um, take the whole shoulder Rub it with olive oil, your favorite seasoning. The olive oil is going to help brown it. Seasoning is going to give it flavor. If you want to wrap it up in plastic after you do that, leave it in the refrigerator for a little while. Okay. The flavor will be a little better, but really all that's going to do is season the outside. Brown it, roasting pan, um, celery, carrot, onion, a little beef broth or game broth in there, cover it up with foil, 300, 325 degrees in about eight hours. And make sure that you keep enough liquid in there so that you'll get that steamed heat. Okay. In about eight hours, you'll be able to pull that shoulder bone out, and it comes out clean, and the meat just falls off, just like it would like with, with pulled pork. But if it doesn't, make sure you add a little liquid and okay. keep cooking. It'll happen. So it makes it it's so much easier than trying to break down a shoulder into burger in, or, you know, usable pieces. Okay. Let the oven let the oven do the work. You can do the same thing in your smoker. Um, just like if you were to do a, a pork shoulder, if you you leave it in there until it starts to soften up, you can wrap it up with foil, put some barbecue sauce in there, and throw it back in the smoker. And that deer shoulder will eventually again be tender, just like a pig. The bone comes out clean, meat falls off. You've got pulled deer, deer shoulder. Wow. Mm. Okay. Oh man, and it's getting close to lunchtime. <laughs> All right, well that's uh, that words of wisdom for you, dear. I, I have quit grinding everything up. Uh, I still grind a lot because I still have to feed the the females at home, but I, I don't grind I as much. It. You know, you have to go with the flow on some of the stuff. Um, I'm but uh, but it, some of the other stuff it, that I've started doing it has turned out pretty good. I'm, I'm getting better at it. I guess by yeah. default, I was just going with, you know, if I wanted a steak, I'd just go buy me a steak and not worry about the venison. But I am starting, right. to, I'm starting to diversify a little bit. Thank you very much. Um, fish, we're in, you know, this is the first of June. We've had crappies, you know, crappy have been on the bed. People have gone out and whacked a bunch of crappies. The, uh, the last full moon, the bluegills and shellcrackers were on the bed. I'm sure there are a lot of people went out and, you know, got their limits of those. Offshore fishing is heating up. The mahi run is here. Let's talk a little fish. And I don't really know where to start because there's so much you can do. So I'm just going to let you, uh, you know, ha- all right, here's here's one that I always get. How do you keep your fish fresh? Well, the vacuum sealer by far is the best way to do it. Now, what a lot of people have experienced when they vacuum seal their fish or anything that's a little bit on the moist side is, you know, you're always hoping, you know, you put a little paper towel in there so that it okay. doesn't, so that you get a good seal. And if you if you start freaking out when you see that fish juice going into the chamber on the vacuum sealer, freeze it first. If okay. you've got fillets, put them on a sheet pan and freeze it first. As soon as it's just frozen, then you vacuum seal it. And you'll find that it has a really, really tight seal that's not going to leak. Okay. Um, fish doesn't get better with age in the freezer. <laughs> so I use mine. You know, I've got 
uh, Food Saver Game Saver is a sponsor of mine, okay. and and they claim you know keep your fish. You, it's good for two years, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm using my fish within three months. Okay, all right. Uh, um, and once you've thawed it, or even if you bring home fresh fish, keep it wrapped in two ply paper towels. And what that does is that wicks away that fishy juice that you get in fish. You know, if you've got fillets and you got them in a Ziploc bag in your refrigerator, you'll notice that eventually they'll be floating in this pinkish fish juice. Right, yes. Doesn't help the flavor of the cooked fish. So if instead you wrap it in two-ply paper towels, and whenever those paper towels get moist, you rewrap it. That way, when you put the fish in the skillet with your white wine and your butter and who knows what, it's going to absorb the flavor that you're adding to the fish instead of competing with all this funky fish juice. You'll mm. notice when you go to freeze your fish, you don't have all that funky fish juice <laughs> in it, and yet when you at once it's thawed, where did this come from, right? right? Don't just pour the juice out. Dry the fish off. If you want to season it then, it'll make a whole lot more sense, and you're not competing with all that fish juice. And then just like everything else, if you cook it too long, it's not going to taste nearly as good. <laughs> no. And fish fish seem to be really, really – there's a fine line between too much and, and not enough. It's the, 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 well, the, and the sweet spot is real thin. Right, right. And if your fish is fishy, um, you know, my fish isn't fishy. And when it comes right out of the water or comes right out of the ocean, it doesn't – it's not fishy at all. Um, it's how you handle it is when we start getting the funky fish – uh, aroma to it okay. or, the, or the flavor to it. If it's not quite right, it's been mishandled. So, you know, you were talking about shell crackers and the coffee and yeah. that. I love to fry fry those whole. Okay. Yeah. You know, scale them, gut them. Yep. Um, I, on my Sporting Chef website, I've got a pistachio crusted crappie or bluegill or something along those lines. And you just Fry the whole thing, and you know those fins taste like potato chips oh, when they're they fried. <laughs> and you can just pull the pull the meat right off it. If you know it's a little more work. Sure. Um, it, another thing that crappie's good for is to make crappie cakes, just like you do crab cakes. Huh. You can you, you cook the crappie, you pull the meat off, use it like it's it's blue crab meat. Um, give it a little squeeze to get whatever kind of juice there is on there to dry it out. Okay. And if you use your favorite crab cake recipe with that light, white, flaky crappie meat, it tastes just like a crab cake. Wow. Um, if, if you butterfly a shrimp, dust it with flour, leave the tail on it, and you build your crappie cake around that butterflied shrimp, that's pretty cool, too. you got the combo deal, and it looks like a big shrimp cake. But it's actually crappie with the shrimp surprise in the center. My goodness. This is what you get when you do this a long time, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. That's, yeah. Okay, so crappie, crappy. Well, it's crappy here. It's crappie in California. Uh, like crab meat. Wow, I did not know that. Well, think about it. Right? I mean, when you if you've got leftover crappie, that it's. You know, it's it's that light, flaky meat, sure. just like if you've got lump crab meat. Yeah. It's the same kind of, it's it's just like that body meat you get on a blue crab, and you season it however, Old Bay or whatever it is you all use there, yeah. um, and, it, and it tastes just like crab meat. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm starting to really bail here. <laughs> this is not good. Uh, 
fish recipes. There, we talked about it, and I grew up. I mean, I grew up fishing with my granddaddy in a little farm pond over in Chester, and you know, we did. We, we, he used to clip the fins. Now, my dad never liked us clipping fins, so once I started cleaning the majority of them, fins on, and you fry them up, and you you eat those like potato chips. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and you fr- we fried them whole, you know, and you just forked one side and clean what you can off, flip them over, and fork the other side. And if you want to pull the bones out, the bones pull right out. So, yep. Going a little bit beyond that, what would you do with a nice mahi fillet? You know, I've and the mahi is so versatile. You can grill it, broil it, pan sear it. I like I like my mahi, and this won't surprise you a little bit on the undercooked side. <laughs> um, you know, you could do a, a speaking of macadamia nuts. You know, any kind of nut, whatever's available. Okay, if you take a little bit of egg wash. Um, and I like to put a little Dijon mustard in there and you take the mahi and you press it into that egg wash. Then you've got a bunch of chopped up macadamia nuts or, or almonds or whatever it is, whatever's on sale. Okay. And you press that into it, press it down into that, into that, uh, into the chopped up nuts. Okay. And you can season it if you want, put a little jalapeno, um, that kind of thing in there. Then you just put it into a saute pan with again, half olive oil, half, um, butter and let that, let it get a light, lightly brown first. That's going to get a little bit more flavor. Okay. Put that, uh, nut side down first, um, into that. And once it's, once the nuts are, are lightly browned, take your spatula, flip it over real, real, uh, easy. And once it's done on both sides, take it out. You can make a pan sauce with what's left. You can saute, put a little bit of fresh butter into that same saute pan, maybe some, some tomatoes, some basil, a little bit of garlic, big squeeze of lemon, and you drizzle that sauce right on top of that nut-crusted <laughs> mahi, and it's really good. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. And simple. It's yes. simple stuff. Simple I mean, stuff. it's not... We're not, these aren't any obscure ingredients. I'm not trying to outchef anybody. Right. I just want you to know that what they do in restaurants isn't all that different than what you can do at home. Gotcha. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, how simple things are. Is there one thing out there, a seasoning or a spice or, you know, whatever that's overused cooking wild game? And I know that's a you know, hard one to say. Well, you know, there's a, the one that I get. From Camp Woody, that they've been using there for 25 years for South Carolina waterfowl, is Five Spice. Now, this is a personal least favorite. Okay. But they have a Five Spice duck there that everybody raves about, except for me. Um, but I've found that people overuse heat a lot. They'll use okay. a lot of hot sauce. And we all know people who won't eat anything without hot sauce. Right. Um, and I'm not one of them. I want to taste my food. Um, and you know, there are people are more predisposed than others. They can eat ghost peppers and sure. eat jalapenos like they're pickles. Yeah. I'm not one of them. I like to taste a little heat, but I like my heat balanced with a little sweet. But, um, you know, it's, that's just my least favorite personal one. <laughs> but, you know, you can always add heat. Um, you can always add salt. But if you put too much of either one of them on there, it's kind of hard to go back. I got you. An underused spice, Um, whatever. A little salt. And I'll tell you what I do, whether it's fish or or upland game, 
I like to add a, sque- a squeeze of fresh lemon or fresh lime. Okay. What it does is it it uh, it it's like a natural MSG that it, that um, stimulates the pa- the taste buds and it brings out the other flavors. You'll be surprised at just how different your wild turkey tastes if just before you serve it, you put a big squeeze of lemon juice on there and it adds a high note and it accentuates all the other flavors that you've added to it. Wow. He's good. He's good, people. You need to listen to what he says. <laughs> no, I've just done it a whole bunch. There I've you just go. been doing there it forever. Go. He's just the old guy. That's all it is. Uh, one of your other sponsors, High Mountain Seasonings, and they've got yep. a ton of seasonings out there. And a lot of people here, and we're going to go back to venison, because a lot of people here will do venison sausage or pork sausage when they kill a wild pig or something other. Is there one of those high mountain seasonings you would use over the other for that sort of stuff? You know, the venison rub is what I use the most of for okay. any of the antler game. What high mountain also has is they've got the sausage kits with a million different flavors that you can make snack and sticks, any kind of sausage. You don't need any special equipment. You can use a food processor to make it. If you decide you want to get into making sausage, then I would highly recommend getting a vertical stuffer and a grinder, and you'll be amazed at how much good stuff you can make, well, say, using that ground meat you got. Instead of um, chili. Yeah, and something besides chili. Um, my overall favorite that I use the most of the high mountain stuff okay. is their salmon rub. Ah. And, again, it's really citrusy and herbal and doesn't have a whole lot of salt, but you're going to taste orange, lemon, lime, herbs, um, and it works on just about anything. But that's I, I, I wear that stuff out. Cool. Oh, wow. All right. Well, if people want to know more about you, Scott, where do they go to find out, I guess, your website, social media, and then what, uh, what TV, the Sportsman Channel, where else can they see your programming? Uh, sportingchef.com is where you'll find most of the recipes. If you go to the Ducks Unlimited website, ducks.org, I've been their cooking editor there for the last 12 years. There's videos, there's recipes. I've got a blog on Winchester. Um, if you go to the Sportsman Channel website, it'll tell you where to find the Sporting Chef show. Sporting Chef runs first and second quarter, the okay. dead meat show where we do python, iguana, and stuff <laughs> most people don't eat. That's uh, third and fourth quarter. Okay. Fourth quarter of this year, we've got all new dead meat shows, including that pistachio, um, that pistachio pig from the Big okay. Island of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm out there. You'll you'll see uh, Sporting Chef is on Sportsman Channel, yeah. and uh, so is Dead Meat. And uh, you know, people can always find me. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Ah. People are sending me messages all the time. If you go to Sporting Chef YouTube, if you don't get TV, there's my outdoor TV is the uh, is the streaming app that Sportsman Channel Outdoor Channel has. Okay, where you can watch a whole bunch of shows from Sportsman Outdoor and the World Fishing Network. Very nice. Well, Scott, as always, I enjoy talking to you. My taste buds are on fire right now. Um, thank you as always. And yeah, we'll uh, do it again. Man. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon, Scott. You bet, thank sir. You know, I hate to say this, 
Tomorrow's my birthday. Ripe old age of 52. And I hear a song like this, In No Hurry. That is that is becoming my mantra in life, is I am not in a hurry anymore. Except I'm always in a hurry. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? What a great song. Don't matter anyway. Cause I ain't in no hurry today. Oh well. It's nice to dream of a day when you won't be in any hurry. I really don't see that. I mean my my parents are in their eighties and they're not in a hurry anymore. <laughs> so I guess at some point it does happen. Uh I hope you enjoy it. Scott's always a great guy. I appreciate him doing this for me once a year. Uh it's about all my uh, that's all about my I can take. I just Man, my, my mouth hurts right now from my just mouth watering. Uh, but for you deer hunters out there, it's never too late. You know, mineral licks are an important thing here in South Carolina. Uh, there's not all the minerals that deer need, and, and we're not trying to grow big antlers here. We're trying to health of the herd is what we're after. So mineral licks are a big part of that. Uh, little, It's not too late, and here's just a little bit of what you can do to – I guess make the best of your mineral licks. It's from uh, Mossy Oak, but he talks about uh, he talks about two places you want to have mineral licks. One is where you want to have a lot of traffic, and you know that's where your does and fawns and young bucks are coming to, uh, and that's usually in an open area, you know where they where they a lot of people come from a lot of different directions and all. Your big bucks are not going to do those as much. So he talks in this article about making a site in a really thick area so, you know, that buck feels comfortable coming in there because a big buck, he doesn't like to be out in the open much. So you, you you have one mineral lick for, you know, all the younger crowd and the women, and you have one for the old guy. And it's kind of you get the best use out of both. He's saying one mineral lick for every 80 to 100 acres. I think I have three on ours, and we're about 80. But uh, probably can't have too much. And I'm not going to tell you what kind to get. That's uh, that's up to you. There's all sorts of, of mineral rocks out there and salt you can pour in. But one thing that's interesting is they were talking about uh, cutting you because you like to put it on a, on a stump. And the deer will lick and paw that stump to pieces and all. And they're saying that if you can, if you, if you make a new cut into a stump, that, uh, that the offshoots... They'll they'll browse those new offshoots, especially on a hardwood stump. So you can have a dual purpose in the year you cut the stump. Now the salt's going to kill the stump, but it it might work short term. And uh, you know, if you've got pigs, one of the things you need to do is to get it off the ground, get it up about three feet, two and a half to three feet. Keep the pig away from it, but uh, the deer have no problem reaching it and licking it, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing the stump I put a, a trophy rock on last year is smooth as it can get right now and the ground is still pawed up around it so do your part to help the, the deer population get as much of the natural minerals they need if you can and that's it for another week see you back here make time to get out there take the back roads when you can and don't forget the camera back with more woods and water south carolina next saturday
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.